Hello and welcome to the Film Ireland podcast. I'm Gemma Cray and I am chatting with director Phil Sheeran and writer David Turpin about their film The Winter Lake, which is just about to premiere at the Galway Film Fla. Thank you guys so much for chatting with us. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks for having us. So we're very lucky to um, have you guys in chatting with us um, because it's a very unusual film flash screening. It'll be online at Galway Film Flat on Friday the 10th of uh, July. So people will be able to see it remotely by the website and get tickets. That's right. At 10 o'clock, I think it goes live, 10 at night. Oh, brilliant. Okay. So we'll have a lot of people kind of catching up. And are you guys doing a Q&A? We are. Right. Yes. So first up, um, can you tell me about how you guys started working on this project together? Well, I suppose I'll jump. I got sent the script. Like David can fill you in on the background of like where the idea came from. But I made it a short called North that um, that went around and did quite well. Uh, the one at Galway, and off the back of that, I think it was David and Roots liked it enough to send me the script to see if I was interested. Um, so yeah, so they sent the script, and it just yeah really connected to the writing, really connected to the psychology, the characters, and it was great. Yeah. I think that had been, that was maybe, was that two years ago? More? What, three, <laughs> three probably, yeah. Three, yeah. Um, I had been working on the script for about a year until then, so, yeah. Um, David, it's a, it's a really lovely, very, very complex script. Uh, that tackles some very weighty things. It, you were saying you were working on it for about a year. What, where did the idea come from? Oh, if I knew where the good ideas came from, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, I suppose, um, I think initially I had been talking to the, the producer, Ruth Tracy, um, who I had made the lodgers with. And, and I think we had talked sort of generally about the idea of a of a of a seasonal lake, or you know, whether the water kind of would would sink and rise according to the actions of an underwater river. Um, and we talked about a bunch of other things as well, but there was something about that particular image that um, that stayed with me, um, and was very intrigued by the idea of the kind of um, not the consciousness of the landscape, but but this, there, that there might be a sort of otherworldly knowing embedded in the land um, that that is distinct from and separate to uh, human understanding. And um, so I think it was about that, you know, that that relationship between you know us mere humans and our little dramas and stuff that play out upon this um landscape that is indifferent to us but at the same time can profoundly affect our lives that i think was the start of the script it, it, it kind of it works very well thematically especially i think in the past few years it, it has echoes in like our own history with the land as, as an irish nation and that kind of shame that's put on women massively and it's it, you can you you kind of you tackle that very interestingly with the characters. Did you guys work on the script together at all, or was it a fully formed piece then that um you jumped in with Phil? Uh, no, it, was, it then turned into about a year and a half to nearly two years of uh, development and back and forth, and just 
and just new ideas that even like David or anyone had that that was just about molding it into something that was we felt was more achievable as well as, as something we were, we all felt we could achieve like, like in terms of our all felt connected to as well as achievable yeah i mean in, in initially very early in it there was a lot more in it that was kind of hallucinatory or surreal or something like that and and, and i think that the longer that we worked on it the more it became clear that that those kind of um that that symbolism was embedded in the reality of the story um, and that you didn't need to sort of port it in in dream sequences or fantasy sequences or stuff, stuff like that that the symbolism was actually was right there um and sometimes you know with a film it can be quite a circuitous journey to arrive at quite a direct place <laughs> um, and, and that was certainly true of, of this film as well I think. It, it manages to keep everything so atmospheric as well on, on top of it all and what i really like is there's no one protagonist in in, in many ways like it really follows everybody's story quite in, in a quite detailed manner and everybody like oh well the, the three women and uh tom definitely have like a very defined arc um was that was that something that was kind of there from the the first version of this script or was there different kind of paths that were explored because it's quite a complex balance i from from my perspective from reading it it was there from the beginning which was kind of what was so intriguing about it i couldn't actually from a first time reader i was incredibly impressed with how how many treads were constantly winding in and out of each other um and then even like something like the reason why i kind of connected to it so much would have been the, the mother character um charlie murphy's character that there was just a sense of loneliness in her that felt so real and palpable that i was like like this is amazing but at the same time as i said she's not really involved in the plot of the film until the end so like that's more controlled by holly so it's like almost each one of them was like the film would fall apart if you removed the power of each one of the characters like completely like no one no one is that in control but um but yeah no it was great like even like you know uh, michael mcallatton with ward there was a like that character could be just a monster like very easily like but um but i think he just brought like he had a lot of fun doing it trying to find extra things that, that i could bring to it himself but there was a yeah, there was just the complexity to how he was how he was play, portraying it that even elevated even more i thought for for his character in particular so yeah i mean just on that i mean i think it's important in in a, a script or in any film that you don't judge any of the characters no matter how apparent they are i mean you know it's the audience judges them um but neither you as a, a writer nor a director nor an actor can judge the character because then then you're not then you're just editorializing and it's always been really important to me that that i don't have a moral stance on 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 the characters um and and one of the things that i think that i wanted to to address with this particular film is you know a lot of the kind of moral constructions that we live by um are nonsense you know and 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 with charlie's character especially you know i mean she says it in the film she's she, she's a terrible mother <laughs> um but but it's it, you you don't have to be a good mother to be a good woman you, you know it's this weird idea that that um you know being being a woman and being a mother are kind of intrinsically linked and being a man and being a provider are kind of intrinsically linked but, 
and that you could be, you know, you can be a good provider and a terrible person. You can be a terrible mother and a fundamentally good person. That that's sort of the, something that I wanted to say. <laughs> and you do, there is a very unique connection between um, Charlie Murphy's character and uh, Anson Boone's character as well. I, I don't even know how to describe it, but it, it feels very authentic where it's that kind of clash of that you know that, that 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 child who's becoming a man and and this kind of mother who's, who's who's really really struggling and again that's what i love about this is is there you really get an insight into their journey throughout the whole way along which is which is fascinating i also want to go into the aesthetics of how this is all achieved because actually phil you do a really good job of it feels timeless in some ways. It feels like it could be in the 90s, it could be in the noughties, it could be, you know, it could be shot yesterday. What was your kind of desire to get the aesthetics across? Um, it's kind of just like, you know, like not to, God, sound like I'm slagging off the west of Ireland, but it's kind of, I do feel like I'm stepping back in time when I go to certain parts, especially more isolated parts in Ireland. Um, so like there was an element of that in the script and then there used to be like um, a little bit more heavily in the script there was nods to fairy tales and things like that which connected to the landscape which had a once upon a time quality which again you don't want to like come in with people on mobile phones and doing this kind of stuff and really pulling attention to that. So there was like a number of like real world practical things like as I said like the west of Ireland just particularly this version like you know in the film in terms of the where the house is and where their neighbors are and the vehicles are all like 20 years old and that kind of stuff but i wanted it to feel like it, it got stuck a bit and and got it was a little bit out of time and didn't like whatever modern ireland is it didn't quite catch up to there yet and it was a little bit back but then as i said like i really liked the the fairy tale aspects even though they're, like they're only peppered through it quite kind of subtly at the moment but um but I think that all plays into it. The, the way the landscape is a bit more primal and things like that. And, and the kind of 70s colors that are in the houses and things, so. Yeah. It's, it's very beautiful and it very, again, very atmospheric, you know, like you, you get this sense of foreboding and it's not like the 70s was the nicest time in Ireland to be alive or a woman or anything like that as well. So it definitely uh, captures that. So can you tell me a little bit about the process of how this film got made? So you guys were paired up by Tailored Films. Yeah. Then yeah. put in their slate for development funding. It also, I spotted there was a Canadian co-pro. Genuinely, Ruth is the one, to, Ruth and Juliana are the ones to ask more about this. They, um, they shielded me really well from it. Like, I like, I'm... I know that during the process, it got a little bit hairy from time to time in terms of like, what, is it going to get made or not? Um, but yeah, Ruth did a great job of just keeping myself and David kind of just focused on the script and on the project and not made worry, like in terms of like, it's going to happen. And I just trusted that she was going to make it happen. So that was kind of it. But uh, we had to go at one point though, we did have to go to uh, Berlin. Um, and pitch it in Berlin just as a part but like I'm not sure if that was necessarily for to raise extra funding but it was just a part of the contractual obligation of like when it's in development so. yeah I don't know I, I it, it sounds so stupid but I, I forget you know once once the thing is done I for I always think that there's a scene in um 
and the Sylvia Plath book, The Bell Jar, you know, the, the, where she goes and sees a woman give birth and, and she sees the, the woman is given um, uh, an injection after giving birth so that she forgets um, how traumatic the process was so that she won't be afraid to do it again. <laughs> and, and, and making a, a movie is a, a little bit, or, or financing a movie certainly is a little bit like that. It's so incredibly traumatic that you kind of blank it out. And then people ask how you did it. You kind of think, God, I, how did I do that? <laughs> you know, or how, how was that done? Because, um, you know, it, it's such, and, it, and it's all, you know, the producers doing, doing all this incredibly, um, you know, sensitive stuff that, that you're not always aware of as, as somebody, in, you know, a writer or something. And, and it's such a kind of like, they're, they're always, in my experience, there always gets to be this, a moment with every film where you kind of feel like you're trying to squeeze your entire body through the eye of a needle. And, and by the time it, you, it comes out the other side, you just blank it out. <laughs> That's always my memory of, of development. I just, the moment it's over, I forget it. Yeah, I suppose it's probably more of the process for Phil if it's like, I want this shot. Mm, you can't have that shot though. <laughs> it's too expensive. Um, yeah, I suppose like we, we only really came up against that. So I was like, I'd lived with the script for like two years and I'd known the budget we were aiming for. So we were very, well, um, I was like, I wasn't gonna aim or anything to kind of lavish in, in a lot of sense. I was trying to get the right shot, if that makes sense, rather than something that feels a little bit more like um, stylistic. Uh, the, the only time where kind of, I'd say, where, we, where I really craved that we had more money was things like when you're shooting stuff on vehicles and action scenes, you just need, you need three times more the amount of like time you have to, to achieve it the way you even like see it. So you end up making a, a huge amount of sacrifices there. And you're not even trying to get something overly fancy. You're just trying to get the beats. So, but, uh, but for everything else, and also I just have to like Rory O'Brien, like he was the DOP. He was, I genuinely, he was such a great person to have beside me the, the whole way. He was, um, he was so calm, he's so upbeat, he's so positive that like, even when I thought something was going to be like hard, like if I thought a shot, if we didn't have the equipment or something like that, he would always come up with a way of doing it with what we have and like a kind of MacGyver job behind the scenes and stuff. So, so he was definitely like very needed and like, I, yeah, I love him. He's great. That, that's really cool um, to know that as well, because I do think it's, it's such a collaborative piece as well, like any, any kind of art form. And actually, I just want to get into the casting. Um, when you write, uh, when you write, David, do you have people in mind when you're kind of curating? Would you have that discussed maybe with Phil at the early stages or anything like that? No, um, I, I always feel like to sit down and write with somebody in mind is the path to heartache because you know a, a, a film takes so long to come together. You you don't know what a given actor is going to want to be doing two years hence. When, when you sit down to, or who they're going to be, you know. Um, so it's, I think it's more interesting to try and, and create a, a character on the page who is whole and may, you know, bring out something you don't expect in an actor you haven't thought of or something, rather than to be like, I want this to be, you know, I mean, I mean, sometimes I think like, oh, 
would have liked Elizabeth Taylor or something, but I, I tend to try to stick to dead people because otherwise it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's a bad. They're, they're always the easiest to cast. One day when you do like 3D animation is that good, you'll be able to do what you want then. Yeah. And what about yourself though? How was the casting process for this film? It, it, it was a nightmare to be honest. It was, it was a long process. Um, a lot of financing kind of came about as a result of of the casting. So we needed to, there was a lot of lists. There was a lot of like who we, like a lot of lists based off actors we all wanted. Like, you know, there was never kind of like, oh, like we don't want these, but we have to offer to them. Um, but it was genuinely a bit of alchemy of trying to, actors that we know will generate the right interest while also, God, will they pair well against, against like Michael? Like for example, like Emma, like Irish accents are pretty hard to do. Emma's actually French. So when I found that out, like I was just like, oh, right. So her English accent's pretty flawless. So she's probably brilliant at accents. Um, but yeah, but like that, but I wasn't, I wasn't seeing anyone in particular. I just, yeah, it was a general energy that, that you're going for and all that. But actually just because I said Emma there, Emma was the one in my head that, that kind of embodied her version of the character the most. Like, um, I think there was so much on the page for all the other characters like um, uh, Michael and, and Charlie and Anson that they kind of they made a lot of really informed decisions based off what was written and just through conversations. Whereas Emma came in with a bit more of a, um, a bit more of a vulnerable kind of character, like where the, the mask of a, of a brash young woman was that clearly had cracks. Whereas in the script, you'd probably not see that till later. But it was like, it was, it was her and it was really alluring and it felt really honest. So it was like, gotta, gotta go with it. So. Yeah, it's strange because, you, you know, when I tried to recall the film that I imagined like way back yonder um, and, and compare um, to, to what was shot, weirdly the, 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 the performance that is closest to what I guess I had imagined back at the start is probably Emma's. Um, I mean, every, the performances are all grand in, in 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 their own ways and stuff, but but there there's this a, a very weird um, kind of um, dichotomy between somebody who's very worldly and yet somebody who's sort of um, you, somebody who appears to give a lot but is also but is but is very withholding. Um, and it's very hard to write that because it's a quality. It's not something somebody says or something they do so it's very hard to script it um i wonder if it has to come intrinsically from the person playing the part and, and i felt like she really had that there was something very mysterious about her she was fabulous like she's so good in this film and like that she she has a very kind of complex role to play and you just can't take your eyes off her when you're watching her as well she really delivers as as a performer, how did you guys, if she, she was French, how did you guys find her? Well, she's in sex education, which is huge. Um, so she's the main girl there. Um, so, and she auditioned, like it was kind of weird. We, we went out, there was, uh, we were supposed to shoot about two months before when we, were, when we actually ended up like started rolling. And at that point, there was a different, like um, Lola Petty crew, you know Lola? She, she's in um, Dating Amber. Lola was attached to be in it. 
But then when we pushed, her schedule changed. So we had to like quickly go back out and and kind of just even throw a wider net this time, trying to who would who potentially would be interested in in doing it, like even just in auditioning, because we had kind of didn't really have an idea. And then we got sent back a tape with God, like 25 people. And Emma was just kind of buried in the middle of them. And yeah, so she made it onto everyone's shortlist. And then we only called, like we went back over to London and we only kind of auditioned like three or four people. And she was just, uh, she was fantastic. She was fantastic. And it's just, she has an unbelievable, like she's just so open. It's kind of like, like I mean, as an actor in terms, she sits there and sits across from somebody and the rest of the world drops away and she's just having a very real conversation scripted or otherwise with this person. And you just, you not only want to, you not only totally believe it, but you're glued to her. Like it's, it's absolutely brilliant. So yeah, she's great. And David, did you, when did you see your first cut of this film or would you have been on set? How involved are you in the process as a writer? I I managed to contrive somehow to be on set for three days, which was the car crash, which is like a line of the script. Um, so I, I didn't get to see, I didn't see any of my work being done, um, but I got to see this really um, difficult and complicated technical endeavor. Um, and it, it made me feel incredibly guilty because I, I, I saw the car crash and then I saw Charlie kind of running in and out of a pond a hundred times or something. <laughs> and I felt, I felt incredibly guilty that I'd subjected these people to these ordeals, you know. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I, I, when did I see a cut? I, can't, I saw a cut fairly early, I think, in the editing process. And then um, a couple of times during editing, um, but I haven't seen this film in months. This like on, when it screens and go away on Friday, this will be the first time I've seen it in, in a long, long time. So maybe surprised. And that's it. I'd say it's a little bit disappointing not to be able to sit in the room and feel the audience's reaction. Yeah, completely. Like I, I absolutely like even over here. Like I'm living in London at the moment, and I used to. Like I go to the Curzon a lot and all that kind of stuff, like, you know, just to the cinema quite incredibly regularly. And it just feels so strange, not even like going to any screening of anything, but to add into that, like, you know, our film is coming out and we don't get to do it. it it's a strange, it's a strange kick in the face. All right. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, obviously you want everyone to be safe and it's all that, but, but yeah, like a huge part of the whole, the whole reason why I love it is, this is the actual cinema. Like I would watch films every day and all, but I look forward to going to the cinema. It's a different experience, so. Yeah. I'm that creepy person who goes to the cinema at 10 in the morning when there's nobody else in the, in the auditorium anyway. So I'll be, I'll be quite accustomed to, to, to watching it alone in a darkened room. Um, but you know, it's a weird, it, you're right. It's a very strange time. And, and you know, I just talking to, to friends and stuff who are in distribution and journalism and all that stuff, you know, there are questions whether it will ever go back to the way it was, particularly for smaller films like ours, whether, you know, theatrical will ever be what it, it, it used to be. So in, in some ways, it's kind of exciting to be kind of almost a test case for, you know, what could end up being a new, you know, the new way films like this come out into the world, whether we like it or not, you know. 
I think that's some, well, I think that two things are happening, you know, I mean, there's obviously the effects of the virus, but then there's the fact that this has forced um, the powers that be to consider other distribution models, which may be more effective for them, and they may not want to surrender now, even when the, the virus dissipates. But I don't know, I always find it kind of, <laughs> you know, whenever you talk about, because I have a, a few things co coming up, God willing, and people are like, oh, but you know, what are you going to do about kissing in the movie? And, and it, it's really not about that. It's about whether people can ensure a production yeah. much more than whether people can kiss without giving each other a virus. So we'll That's see. It. That was the main thing where it's the, the finances are the, the issue and having someone on set all the time, especially for smaller productions, will be very, very difficult. But anyway, fingers crossed it'll all go back to normally. So cinemas are reopening. Will we see it in cinemas? Like, so Galway is the first, and then it's like hopefully going off to a few more festivals. But the word I've heard is that they're aiming to have it out by the end of the year. So like, which is like, hopefully a cinema release is, is what we're all aiming for anyway. And I think it's so visually strong. And I think people will be so hungry for good content on a big screen. I'd say that's a brilliant time to be out there. Yeah, it's. I think the like, you know, I'd like the the push from my side would be that it's, I know, just taken on as a, as a drama with a lot of the thriller angles. And are you guys working on anything at the moment that you're allowed to talk about? Um, um, yeah, I'd, like I'm writing two scripts at the moment. One of them's a kind of, uh, it's a drama centered around the missing person, but how it kind of tore tears two families apart and tears the community apart and it's like 30 years of it uh, and then the other one is like kind of witch hunt witch trial kind of film but set nowadays brilliant yeah. and david oh yeah i have a few things going um so i have um hopefully two films that are shooting next year and um i'm working on my first thing in the brave and baffling new frontier of television <laughs> um, and then I'm sort of inching towards something to direct myself which is a metaphysical fantasy about AIDS so very complex <laughs> and interesting uh, look for that in 10 years time <laughs> um, but thank you guys so much for chatting with us uh, again fabulous film I'd say it'd be very well received now and it's it's kind of it's, it's something nice for us as a captive audience to watch and I heartily recommend it for anyone who likes that fabulous tense atmospheric dramas that are meaty and character driven so premiering at the galwayfilmfla.com on Friday July the 10th at nine o'clock and then you guys will be following with a Q&A afterwards so get your questions in as well they should you know do their worst. I like a challenging question. So. Okay, so David has asked for, for challenging questions. So yeah, challenge accepted, guys. Get them in. Gotta <laughs> be regretting that now. <laughs> well, thanks so much for chatting with us. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. See Thank you, you very much.